Welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. In August of last year, the European Union introduced a strategy to aggressively expand the market for hydrogen energy as part of its plan to go carbon neutral by the year 2050. The plan envisions using green hydrogen, produced mainly with wind and solar power, as an energy resource in a broad array of industries. In particular, the EU hopes that hydrogen will help it lower carbon emissions in industries that are deeply dependent on fossil fuels, such as steel production and shipping, and for which there are few other decarbonization options. Today's podcast will look at the challenge of growing clean hydrogen supply and demand quickly enough to create a carbon-neutral European economy in just 30 years. My guest is Kirsten Westfall, a senior associate at the German Institute for International and Security Affairs and a member of Germany's National Hydrogen Council. She'll talk about Germany's plans as Europe's largest economy to build its hydrogen energy system and how European nations may collaborate broadly to reach the zero carbon goal. She'll also discuss how green hydrogen might be financed and the prospects for a truly international hydrogen market. Kirsten, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. Happy to be here. So I thought that we might start, uh, I might start by asking you to tell us about your work uh, with and the goals of Germany's National Hydrogen Council. Yeah, well, the National Hydrogen Council has been established in, in summer last year. I'm a member of 25 other members coming from, well, industries, academia and civil society. And the National Hydrogen Council is a government instrument um, established by the German government to advise actually the government itself in yeah, yeah, starting this um, hydrogen economy. And more precisely, the German government has dedicated 9 billion euros, which is really something, it's not peanuts, um, for kicking off this hydrogen market. So 9 billion of public money earmarked for the hydrogen economy. And we in the council are actually there to advise the government how to spend the, these, these billions. What is the specific problem that switching to hydrogen would help Germany to address? Yeah, that, that's, that's a very important and valid point to ask. Um, as I see it, um, hydrogen is just one piece of the energy transformation, the Energiewende, as we say in Germany, because we have always to have in mind that the first step is really um, energy efficiency and energy savings. The next step is, of course, expanding renewable energy and electrification. And then hydrogen is just the um, final piece in the mosaic to achieve the decarbonized energy system. And, and here, that's, it, that's really the point. We have to ask what are the, the, the problems hydrogen has to help to solve us in the, the sustainable energy system. And then it's, of course, um, yeah, decarbonizing energy intensive industries, difficult to abate sectors and, and this kind of things. So the, the National Hydrogen Strategy, uh, as you mentioned, was introduced uh, in Germany in, I think it was June of last year. Right, yeah. Why is, it, why is it specifically happening now? Obviously, climate has been something that 
Europe, Germany has been focusing on for quite some time. Why in the midst of a pandemic with so much else going on did Germany uh, elect to introduce this, this strategy last year? The process about thinking through this missing piece of the Energiewende started before the pandemic. We had a process of political and discussions around the gas strategy of 2030 and the deep understanding that the Energiewende will need some decarbonized molecules and that not everything can be solved by using electrons. So the, the whole um, hydrogen strategy developed from the, the, the discussions around decarbonizing the gas value chain and, and, and also, of course, decarbonizing oil and, and other fossil fuels. So this is how it, it started. You are very right in highlighting the, the pandemic because hydrogen is now not only a major piece in the recovery program in Germany, but also in the European Union. And I think this is a very, very important point um, because there you can see that hydrogen is seen not only as a point to, yeah, to combine climate and energy policies, but also um, kick off technology and innovation. So it's really looked as an economic growth strategy, it sounds like. Right, exactly. As, as the whole energy transition is looked at. So, so let me ask you this. So hydrogen can be used in a number of different ways. It can be burned directly as a fuel. It can be used as a form of energy storage. How will hydrogen be used or what is the mix of uses that Germany envisions under its, under its uh, hydrogen strategy? Germany has a strong focus on energy intensive industries and difficult to abate sectors. This is, as you mentioned already, the steel sector, this is aluminium, cement and so on, which simply cannot um, processes that cannot be, be realized on, on the basis of, of, um, of electricity. And then, of course, there is the whole issue of transportation and mobility. And here the focus is very much on long haul transport of, of goods, but also, of course, on aviation and maritime transport. Um, and then um, if you look beyond, let's say, to, to personal car fleets, if you look to the heating sector, then the discussion is becoming already um, more tricky because there you have really um, the, the primacy of, well, energy efficiency, of course, as I mentioned, but also using electricity first and not, not hydrogen. So hydrogen would be a, a backup resource uh, in, for residential electricity production, for example? Uh, well, this is part of the discussion. Um, there is the strong, well, in Germany, maybe this is interesting to mention, in Germany, there is this narrative of green hydrogen being the champagne of energy sources. Um, because, of course, it, it, it's not, uh, if you think through the whole um, production chain, it's, it, you're, of course, losing efficiency if you first generate electricity and then to do electrolysis. This is why this idea of champagne is out there. And, and, and champagne, only you use only champagne um, for festivities or where you can't drink other 
other um, drinks, so to say. So this is why there the, is... A, the idea being it's too high cost it, just to, exactly, to use freely. Exactly. The idea that it's high cost and that it's also resource intensive in a, in, in a sense. And this is why you really first look into sectors where you can't, can't use electricity. Um, and, and beyond these sectors, there is really this discussion going on also in the National Hydrogen Council, whether we should think, whether we should move away from this narrative of champagne, which is too cost intensive, and whether we should look, for example, into simply red wine from the countryside and compare it with that and use it more often. And then, of course, if you have this discussion, you're really looking into also systemic functions that hydrogen could fulfill. So indeed, um, um, making it possible to transport and store large volumes of energy. So you're talking about uh, hydrogen as champagne, right? <laughs> and I, I want to dig a little bit deeper on what that's all about. So, so the hydrogen strategy in Germany and also more broadly in the EU really is looking to develop what's called green or renewable hydrogen. It's not the standard type of hydrogen that's used in industry such as refining today. Um, that green hydrogen is very expensive. Why is the green hydrogen in particular, first off, what is green hydrogen, number one? No. And two, why is that kind of really the key here that we're talking about? Exactly. We should explain, I think, to the, to the audience what green hydrogen is. Green hydrogen is um, hydrogen that is produced from renewable um, energy sources like solar and wind, basically by water electrolysis. So this is green hydrogen and indeed it's uh, today it's still very costly compared to the hydrogen that is used, the grey hydrogen produced from basically coal or mostly natural gas. Um, and um, well, of course, there is a certain cost range, but it's very simplified. It's, it's more or less two times um, more expensive or even three times depending where you produce the hydrogen from renewable energy sources. So that's green hydrogen. The other point is, um, of course, there is this hope from um, the past um, that we will see cost degression as we've seen in photovoltaics. And I think this is a valid point. We have not yet achieved, you know, um, we have, this is still a manufacturing process, um, electrolysis. But if, you, if we really um, have a market ramp up, um, this will become more industrialized and of course costs will come down. So this is the hope. Um, this is not, you know, in, in a linear trend that this cost gap will stay. Um, and then there is, of course, the, the, the major argument is um, if you look into carbon neutrality by 2050, then at the end of the day, it has to be green hydrogen and not hydrogen that is produced from natural gas with CCS, for example. Well, I want to get a little more uh, detail on actually the, the, the timeline that Germany has set forth. So as I understand it, uh, between now and 2024, Germany, I believe, is going to focus on replacing uh, gray hydrogen, which is hydrogen from natural gas or potentially from coal, with green hydrogen in industries where hydrogen is already widely used, such as refining and chemicals. The next stage, as I understand it, stage two would go out to 2030. 
that's the point at which uh, this this broader, maybe the more <laughs> the champagne or the red wine use uh, of, of, of hydrogen would start to happen. And hopefully the cost by 2030 would come down to and after that point, uh, you know, really it can be broadly used in the economy. Is, is that kind of the, the plan at this point? Exactly. Very well described, Andy. That's exactly the point. I mean, the, the National Hydrogen Strategy talks about establishing five gigawatt of generation capacity till 2030. Um, um, and another, um, yeah, till 2030. And then, then you have this next phase till 2035, 2040 um, in the strategy, right? But this, this is, let's say, the point 0.5 gigawatt to 2030, which is already something because this um, corresponds to 90 to 110 terawatt hours of hydrogen that will be needed. So I think there's an, another interesting point here, and I think that the timing is quite uh, kind of indicative of what's going on. So Germany introduced its hydrogen strategy two or three months before the EU came out with its strategy as well, or, or announced it, I think, in September, uh, August, September of last year. So, so Germany, in a sense, uh, from what I understand, uh, it, um, is really potentially putting itself at some... Uh, I don't know if financial risk is the correct word, but it's it's taking it upon itself to take on the cost of green hydrogen uh, and, and push it forward. What is the, I guess, the cost benefit analysis that the German government is is making this push under, and and what has the response of industry been to this plan, particularly given what would seem to be uh, some competitiveness issues. Uh, for German industry if it's going to increasingly rely upon a high-cost resource such as green hydrogen? Um, A lot of questions in a row. I think Germany deliberately puts itself in a front-runner position inside the EU, but um, there, there is a correspondence between Germany's plans and the EU's plans because, for example, there are, there are very detailed plans by the EU to establish 40 gigawatts till 2030 inside the EU and another 40 gigawatts outside the EU in neighboring regions. So this is where, you know, the Germany's five gigawatts fit into the European plan. So, um, and there are then the interesting thing is more, you know, differences in detail. uh, And the differences are indeed around the colors of hydrogen. Germany has a stronger emphasis, as you rightly said, on on green hydrogen. And um, the other point is indeed, what uh, does Germany have in mind? I think Germany's drivers are, um, of course, the wish to achieve climate neutrality by 2050 to achieve its goals. But there's also a strong um, idea, as we talked already, it's a growth strategy. It's seen as a way to... um, innovate and and redefine its industrial basis and therefore there's a strong understanding um, in the government but also in the industry that the whole hydrogen value chain as i would call it call it so not only production but also consumption fuel cells and so on can be really a push 
for well growth within the national economy, but also keeping Germany's position as, as a technology leader. And the final point would be, um, and this view is shared by industry and government, and there is the sense of urgency, because especially with a view to China um, and Chinese moves to move ahead, you know, with, with the strategy of Made in China 2025, um, standards 2035 that China wants to define for the world. Um, this, this really <laughs> is promoting Germany's uh, yeah, sense of urgency. So it sounds like it's really it's about competitiveness in, in the positive indeed. sense, right? Yes, promoting indeed. the growth of these indeed. industries because yes, yes, okay. and indeed, I mean, uh, uh, why is there really a, a view to China? Don't forget that the, there is this idea, and I think it's true that Germany paid the learning curve for photovoltaics worldwide with its support scheme. But then it lost part of this, this industry is to China. And this is something that Germany doesn't want to see repeated with, with hydrogen. You know, that, that brings me to a, another interesting point here. And, and you've really already started the discussion on this. But as, as a practical matter, Germany will need to import large amounts of hydrogen to meet its carbon reduction goals. It, it, my understanding is that it cannot produce enough hydrogen domestically uh, to, to reach the, the net zero goal by, by the year 2050. And as you said, Germany is not going to be operating or acting in a vacuum because the EU more broadly has its own strategy. Um, how does, uh, you know, how does Germany's push to develop its technology uh, fit within the larger context of the EU? Is, is Germany going to, you know, really positioned to be a, a technology leader on this? Or is this more of a, a pan-European um, uh, effort to, to, to develop these technologies and, and leadership in, in green hydrogen? First of all, yes, you are right. This is also not only my personal understanding, but, but widely shared within the National Hydrogen Council, the German government, the industries that Germany, yes, will indeed have to import lots of hydrogen. I mean, we are at the moment a net importer of energy. 80% of our energy almost come from um, abroad and and I think this won't change and there I mean I'm working at, at an institute that is looking into foreign security policy issues and there's a deep understanding in Germany that it, it, there's a wish to work together um, on on energy issues and to, and to maintain energy trade for for many reasons so yes indeed there is the strong wish to build up value chains um, cross-border and the other point is that that you mentioned um, how will it is it is it viewed and shared by by the EU? Um, yes, I think we have to think the development of the hydrogen economy from outside Berlin in concentric circles. What we are discussing right now is the idea of hydrogen valleys, where you have clusters of refineries, chemical industries that you mentioned, where you have already existing hydrogen grids. Um, being enlarged into a, a backbone of a hydrogen transport system, which, for example, connects now the, 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 the major um, clusters that we have already, like big, big harbors, um, 
um, of Belgium, of the Netherlands. Um, and from that point of, of you know, that starting um, the um, hydrogen economy, you have then um, a, a more building up of, of, of wider hydrogen use inside the EU, but also then in neighboring countries. Um, and this is why I talk about the concentric circles, because if we look firstly into the neighboring regions, then we can build upon infrastructure that already exists, such as gas pipelines. Um, and then, of course, you have this, 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 this other point of global bilateral partnerships with countries like Australia or Chile. Germany is looking into, which are front runners in producing green hydrogen or grey hydrogen, blue hydrogen in, in the case of Australia. But also there is a deep understanding that we have to exchange with um, the big other consumers of hydrogen, such as Japan and South Korea, but also the US. And I think this is a very important point because for Germany, it is very important to have the governance structures right, not only inside Germany and inside the EU, but also globally, because we will need a certification scheme that that is transparent and accepted widely in order to establish a competitive global um, hydrogen market, which should be somehow the, 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 the goal for, for, for the next well, 30 years. Is this uh, competitive hydrogen market, the global market that you're talking about, is this something that would be modeled on a, a current international gas or oil market where, I guess, low-cost countries, I'm just assuming, for example, with access to ample uh, renewable energy may be able to cost-effectively produce this hydrogen and then uh, convert it into a form that can actually be transported by shipping overseas? How exactly might that work in a little bit more detail? Yes, indeed. I think this is, uh, I always have the, the indeed the gas market in mind when I, I think about the, the sequencing and the different phases of developing um, a regional and a global hydrogen market, because there you have also the point of pipelines plus transports with, with ships. Um, and we have also seen that in the history for the kicking off of this um, gas value chains, we needed kind of long term price indexed contracts. And this could be models. But if we talk about these these um, more bilateral models, um, we should have in mind to that the, the, the real goal should be competitive markets, trading hubs. And in order to get there, I think lessons learned from the gas market indeed can help, yes. So um, I wanted to go back to the issue of technology. And a few minutes ago, you spoke about uh, Germany's um, desire and the EU's desire to really uh, uh, establish itself as leader in, the, in green hydrogen technology. And I think the technology specifically that we're talking about there is the electrolyzer technology. Uh, that uses electricity to produce uh, to produce hydrogen, and, and and that's really where the cost reduction needs to be, and that's where the innovation is. Is, is that correct? Yes, this is correct, indeed. Okay, so, so one of the one of the uh, uh, parts of this is um, electrolyzers will use clean energy uh, to produce clean hydrogen, and it's interesting that. Um, I believe the EU has forecast that about 25% of the renewable energy that's generated within 
the EU by the middle of the century when we'll be at carbon, uh, carbon neutrality. About 25% of clean electricity will actually be directed towards uh, consumption consumed by these electrolyzers, which brings me to this, this next question, and it's kind of a, a fundamental question I think about this whole plan, is that when you have such a push to, um, to decarbonize the electricity system to begin with for general consumption, and then you have this part of the, the transition that's going to require a lot of electricity specifically to be geared towards the production of, of green hydrogen. Is there a risk that this hydrogen part of the overall net zero strategy uh, may be at odds or may stress the overall effort to, you know, to decarbonize the electricity system to begin with just because it itself will consume so much of this uh, coming clean electricity. Yeah, this is such an important question. And Andy, yes, I think so. Yes, this is indeed putting a lot of stress on the whole energy system. And we are realizing that already in Germany, because I mean, we're facing out um, nuclear power plants by next year or by the end of the year, and then coal will follow quite soon. Um, and we are already seeing that we are needing much more um, imports of electricity than we did in the past. Um, and, and this means that already this, this phasing out of nuclear and, and coal <laughs> requires to expand renewable and electricity production. And, and, and on top of that now comes the whole hydrogen story. So yeah, indeed, I mean, this also makes it very clear inside Germany, but also in the EU that we basically even lack, you know, the, the land to, to build, um, yeah, photovoltaic facilities and, and, and wind generators. We, we lack, we lack the space actually. And this is why, why there is this un big understanding that we will need imports. But if you look into imports, you have the same story, for example, in, in North Africa, where we're looking at, I mean, of course it could be at odds producing clean hydrogen for exports with it basically even, um, satisfying the domestic energy demand in those countries, plus decarbonizing the electricity um, generation in these countries. Yes, indeed, this is this is a very difficult and tricky issue. And this is why it uh, the, the, the whole point about certificates of origin, certification of hydrogen is so important and why we have to talk internationally, what should be the standards, um, be it on, only, quote unquote, um, environmental standards or be it social standards as well, all these kind of issues are so important for the governance question. It does sound like, in essence, it's going back to the discussion of a few minutes ago about yeah. the global hydrogen market. This is going to be a global market. It's going to it sounds like it's going to need to be a global market to meet to meet needs in in various parts of the world. Yes, exactly, like. indeed. And I mean, I, um, normally we think a lot um, on you know the twenty fifty targets and on target derived scenarios, but we also have to think from where we stand and how to get from the status quo to the target. And this is really why we have to discuss globally or at least internationally with the front runners how to define the, the specific steps, because I think in order to have, you know, the critical mass, mass of, of 
clean um, climate friendly hydrogen in the beginning we also looked have to look into different colors germany is very focused on green hydrogen but um, this is uh, let's say this is really um, also a, a matter of debate what role for example for blue hydrogen in in the transition phase blue hydrogen being produced from gas with ccs also called turkey's hydrogen or turquoise hydrogen produced by pyrolysis um, so these could be also um, ways and technologies to help us to kick off really a market and then to think about you know really decarbonizing and phasing out and and, and ending with a really climate friendly hydrogen market and then finally there is the whole debate around yellow or purple hydrogen produced from nuclear this is let's say a no-go to talk about this in germany but uh, I, I mean i'm looking i'm analyzing the international situation and i'm very clearly seeing that that many countries are looking into that for a number of reasons and this is also something uh, what we have to talk about and we have to deal with also in the process of certification. Well, you know, here in the United States, there's been a, a lot of discussion in, over the last year about development of the hydrogen market as well. And I think the focus here has been a little bit different. Uh, it's really been focused on, or at least part of the focus has been blending hydrogen potentially yes. into the gas supply to, mm. to reduce the carbon intensity of, of natural gas, which has become a very important power generation uh, resource here, as it has become in Europe as well, is is there a plan to use hydrogen to to mix in with the gas supply for power generation in in Europe as well? Um, I wouldn't call it a plan, but I would say yes, this is part of the the overall debate. Um, it has only started on the European level. I'm I'm more closer now, of course, to the German debate, and and here it is really an, a matter of let's say ideology even. Um, because there are really two different camps. The one camp coming from, you know, civil society and environmental NGOs saying, no, we have to immediately jump into this clean green um, hydrogen system. And then this is the whole narrative that I mentioned of, of the champagne, which should not be blended of yours because you're not pouring water into champagne. This is always, you know, the picture that is then um, communicated. Uh, and then you have the other saying, well, we could have immediate gains um, or let's say reductions in, in um, emissions if, if we blend into the system. And this is a debate that is still going on and, and not yet solved. So, um, you know, you already started talking about this, but I wanted to go a little bit more deep and ask about this. You know, what global efforts or partnerships might be developed to drive the development of green hydrogen energy? From the view of Germany, this is a very important question that we are also discussing in the National Hydrogen Council because 90 billion, well, 9 billion euros are earmarked, as I say, for kicking off the, the national hydrogen economy and the national, national economy in a sense. And, and out of the 9 billion, 2 billion are really earmarked for international partnerships. So this is really um, an, an issue that we are vividly discussing inside Germany now. And the question is, is around the criteria 
what criteria should guide you know these partnerships um, and the national um, strategy says well the, the goals are cli mitigating climate change um, develop, helping developing countries um, to have sustainable growth plus also technology leadership and competitiveness for Germany and, and for German and European industries. And, 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 and as you see, I mean, these three goals are nicely formulated, but you really have competing political goals here. It's not the, the simply foregone synergy. And this is why we really have to discuss which criteria are important. And if you look into the partnerships that are discussed, um, what is important for Germany is, of course, the current level of deployment of hydrogen technologies in the partner countries. And this is why Germany focuses on Japan and Australia, for example, but also Chile with, with Chile moving ahead quite aggressively. Then, of course, Germany looks into existing partnerships and infrastructure. And here we are back to this point of the gas value chain. So Russia, Ukraine come into focus. And then very much, and I think this is a major issue we should look at, if you ask me, is whether these countries are members of a common market and regulatory space given the importance that standard certifications will have. And this is why I think you will have a major offshore wind projects with electrolyzers, for example, uh, moving um, forward in, in, in the North Sea, but also the Baltic Sea in cooperation with UK, for example, and Norway, but also maybe in the Mediterranean, in the Eastern Mediterranean with Greece and Cyprus. And then the next point, of course, is and then we look more into, well, the, the more far away concentric circles is the potential for renewable energies and their deployment. And this is where Ger Germany and the EU, of course, look into um, North Africa and Africa, but also the Gulf countries. Um, and last but not least, of course, existing trade and company relations play a certain role. Um, and we, we do see in, in Germany that um, especially Gulf countries like Saudi Arabia, but also United Arab Emirates, are quite aggressively moving ahead with these projects. So these are all kind of criteria, but also um, criteria that 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 shedding a focus and, and, and making a spot on certain partner countries. And the other part of the story is really the global governance or regional governance issues. And this is where we have to think through um, globally and with, with partners and in particular within the transatlantic partnership, what are the organizations and institutions that we should um, push and promote in order to help us to, to build up a competitive um, national, uh, not national, competitive global hydrogen market. Let me ask you a final question here. Uh, this is obviously extremely complex. We have to build the supply of hydrogen, the demand for hydrogen. Um, uh, and actually, that's a question I wanted to ask that I have not asked yet. What, what is being done specifically on the demand side in, in Germany to make sure that industry is, you know, not only that the hydrogen is supplied, but that industry uh, is in 
position to actually begin to utilize this hydrogen and, and, and you know and, and draw the demand even higher oh yes <laughs> this is a very important point because we we definitely have the the chicken and egg problem you can't simply kick off neither demand nor production but you really have to address the whole value chain production transmission or transport and consumption and and here the idea is and of course the big challenge is to bring the costs down for 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 hydrogen for uh, clean hydrogen um to bridge the the existing gap so to say between gray hydrogen and green hydrogen by contracts for difference but also of course to to bring costs down by increasing the prices for co2 emissions so this is a big it's it is really a, a challenge to change the regulatory framework that exists in order to address and, 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 and give the right incentives for, for well, the sustainable energy transformation, including hydrogen. This is really a, a, a challenging task for the state. So carbon pricing may be a way to do that? It, not only, yes. As I said, carbon pricing is certainly a, a major element. But you also have to bridge price gaps because, I mean, as we said, gray hydrogen is already used in refineries and in the chemical industry. But in other sectors, you you even have to bridge um, um, larger gaps between today's fuels and green hydrogen. So to say between kerosene and then um, e-kerosene, synthetic clean kerosene, and there the price gap could be even higher. And, and that would be through government supports, for example? Yes, I, 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 I don't see another way. Yes, we, we have to certainly have a phase of, of um, supports, support schemes by, by it, yeah, at best many governments addressing the issue. And um, one element has to be, of course, CO2 pricing. So it's it's a parallel parallel tracks, and then of course on the consumption side, uh, you have the point that of course still the products, the clean products, will be more expensive, and this is uh, why the EU now very um, strongly talks about carbon border adjustment mechanisms, and this will be will be a story that will stay with us for quite some time. There's obviously so much work to be done on so many fronts. Just want to get a sense when you go into the office, what what of this of this whole universe of, of things that need to be done really is the focus and, and yeah, what 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 are you working on specifically? What is what is top of the plate for you? On top of my plate is the focus on the international and foreign relations because I'm working at the think tank that deals with um, international and security affairs. So my point is how to address, you know, the geopolitical hiccups, which we might have to face with the transition period and um, which we might have to face or which we certainly have to face, to put, to put it in better words, which we certainly have to face when we um, face out uh, oil and gas um, imports and replace them by by hydrogen and its deriva derivatives. Kirsten, thank you very much for talking. Thank you very much, Andy. Today's guest has been Kirsten Westfall, Senior Associate with the German Institute for International and Security Affairs. 
For more energy policy conversations and news, visit the Climate Center for Energy Policy's website, where you'll find research, blog posts, and online events on a range of energy policy topics. For updates from the Center, subscribe to our Twitter feed. Our handle is at Climate Energy. And before we finish, I'd like to welcome a new member to the Energy Policy Now team. Alan Kate is our editorial assistant and will be involved in production of the podcast going forward. Thanks for listening to Energy Policy Now, and have a great day. Thank you.